Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller and this is a Ziggler show inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. We've surpassed 40 million downloads because we bring messages that help people make the change they need to get the results they want. In this episode, how to position yourself for blessings. All right, right off the bat, blessings, right along with the word success, probably at the top of the heap for having a lot of baggage connected to those words. And I don't bring the term to this show lightly, but right now, do you feel more or less blessed? And before you think, well, of course, you know, my family, I've got a job, I'm in a decent uh, home, I've got good health, of course I'm blessed. I'm not really talking about the count your blessings pitch. I mean, right now in your day-to-day life, how are your relationships? Are they all you desire them to be? How are you feeling financially? Do you feel purposeful and hopeful? How about just your level of ongoing joy? How's your stress level? How's your self-talk? Do you feel things generally work out for you and are falling in your favor? Do you really feel like you are living within a flow of blessing? Well, then the question is to have blessing. And if I can say favor, are there any requirements? And I know this right there, there's a slippery slope issue because the idea of do this and get that regarding God and blessings has really, really been misused. So I have someone for you today and we're going to hit it on the head. Back in 2006, I got a hold of a book with a crazy title, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day by a guy named Mark Batterson. He was a pastor of a church in DC. Well, today he is still that pastor, but now a prolific best-selling author and speaker. He has a new book titled Double Blessing, How to Get It, How to Give It. And right off the bat in our talk, uh, he hits on this, you know, the prosperity gospel. He actually cites the blessings of God will complicate your life. And I feel I brought the tough questions up in this show, and it will open up some new perspectives for you on how to tangibly orient your life. If you don't know Mark, he's the author of 15 books, including the USA Today bestseller, Chase the Lion, which inspired the recently published Chase the Lion Weekly Planner. And uh, the New York Times bestselling author, he is of The Circle Maker. He's the founder and lead pastor of National Community Church, NCC, one, one church with seven campuses throughout Washington, D.C., Uh, It's known as one of the most innovative and influential churches in America. Uh, They also own and operate Ebenezer Coffee House, the Miracle Theater, and the DC Dream Center. You can connect with Mark and all he's doing at Mark Batterson, B-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N.com. And you can, of course, find his books everywhere. All right, folks, I have Mark Batterson in the wings right here for you. I'm just going to share a couple of products and services I think will be a benefit to you, and then we'll get at it. Well, Mark, we have never met face-to-face before today, uh, so I'm going to tell you that about seven years or about seven years ago, I had an organization where I helped people move from traditional employment to self-employment. I worked with thousands of people there. I bought cases of your book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, and gave those out to people, gave them to new members a lot. And uh, my family knows that book. Everybody who knows me, I think, knows that book. I'm a fan, so I'm going to say now for the first time I get the chance, thank you. Uh, for what uh, you put into that, it's been a gift to myself and so many others. Well, Kevin, I owe you a thank you then if you were buying them by the case. <laughs> I was. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like that particular book should have come with a warning on it. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, I, I think more than one person uh, went from traditional employment 
to uh, self-employment as a result. It was just a great call out for going out there and, and going after it. So, uh, so I have known of you for so long. So it was great to see this book coming out and have the chance to hit it head on with you. And, and that is what I want to do. I want to hit, hit a couple of things uh, head on because, as you know, a book with the name Double Blessing and talking about the Lord, you know, as well or more than I do. A lot of baggage comes up there. So we're going to hit it right off the bat. Okay. Yep, I love it. All right. Uh, so yeah, the word I'm going to, I'm going to use the word success to bring us into that. That's a word that of course, the Ziegler show, we use that a lot. So much talk about a word with baggage on success because is it money, fame, status? What is it? Everybody defines it differently. And we glorify, you know, success with a lot of people out there that don't have true success overall. So there, there's one word. Now we have the word blessings. I got to figure that's got to be right there at the top of the heap with a word with baggage associated and you do state off. And I love that you did this right at the beginning of the book that you are not out promising, you know, health, wealth, and a prosperity message with this necessarily, but it does bring up the question of, okay, blessing Mark, tell me what you're talking about there. Yeah. Well, before original sin, there was original blessing. This is the very first thing that God does. And so this is God's most ancient instinct. Now, he's not going to bless greed or pride or laziness. Uh, loves us too much to do that. We've got to position ourselves for blessing. And I share some habits of highly blessed people, but none of that changes the fact that God wants to bless us beyond our ability to ask or imagine. And uh, as you say, Kevin, you know, I, I, I kind of, I, I don't mind poking at people a little bit. And so I figured I'm just going to title it the way I want to. Yeah. And I'm going to take back something that maybe has been misinterpreted or misused and see if we can't really put the right frame around it. And so uh, I, I appreciate you uh, just bringing it up right at the outset. Well, your reputation, I think, for most people who know you precedes you. So it wasn't uh, uh, th that said, it's still worth hitting there. And when you talk about that and you do, and we're going to get into some of the meat of that, of positioning ourselves for blessing. I think you also right at the beginning say, oh, it's not, it's not a formula as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't even know that we know enough up front to know whether something's a blessing or a curse. Because some things that we think are a blessing, they backfire because we don't steward it the right way. And so I think your greatest asset becomes your greatest liability if you don't use it for God's glory. And then some of those things that we think are a curse, oh, no, they're a blessing in disguise because they're the catalyst for character. They're the catalyst for growth. And so... Uh, I think it's important to even kind of say that at the outset that we don't always know what a blessing or a curse is. Yeah. Okay. Well, in to dig into this more, uh, it was show I did a show recently, show seven twenty seven folks for for you listening, and I interviewed uh, Neil Pasricha. He's the best selling author of the Happiness Equation. His latest book is You Are Awesome. But he really comes out. What intrigued me and why I did the interview of talking about hey, in this current day and age. We have more conveniences, more affluence than ever. We should, by proxy, you would think, have the easiest, happiest lives ever. And yet today we are, in America, stats are we're sicker and sadder than ever. And so with you coming out with this book right now, my question on it was, in, I mean, in looking at the culture, even at your own congregation, Mark, 
where do you, where do you say people are falling on the aspect of feeling blessed these days? Are they, or are we at the, cause again, it looks like, why wouldn't we? I mean, other people, other countries, other cultures come here. Why wouldn't you know, the minority issue, you know, more right. of them become my, become millionaires than we do because they just see opportunity. And yet are we here, especially in America, are we feeling blessed? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I think we, we, uh, hashtag blessed with uh, pictures of exotic vacations on Instagram. Yeah. But yeah. no, I mean, and you know, part of it is we live in a culture that celebrates 15 minutes of fame more than a lifetime of faithfulness. And so um, I, I think we have a misconstrued idea of what blessing is. And I mean, if I would just deep dive it, Kevin, and I would tell you when I was 30 years old, my intestines ruptured, went in for emergency surgery, um, lost a foot of intestines, uh, lost 25 pounds in a week. I was on a respirator for two days. I, I would say that that qualified as uh, the worst week of my life. I would also say best week of my life. Now, I wouldn't want to go through it again, yeah. but you know what? You, you learn things when you go through adversity. Um, so I, I even love the angle you're taking because at the end of our lives, it's usually the hardest things that we've gone through. It's the biggest adversities that we've overcome. Those are the things that we celebrate. Um, you know, and, and I think um, we, we want to take the path of least resistance, but that never produces the greatest happiness. Yeah. So on this aspect, again, of positioning, which I want to, I want to dig into more positioning ourselves, even in, and I'm curious just for you as an author, you had a catalyst, something, uh, instigated you to write this book. And was it as much wanting people to receive God's blessings? Okay. Got that to some, but it just as much wanting people to realize the need for positioning, the need for doing the things that help cultivate the opportunity for that. Cause obviously they go hand in hand, but really to some degree asking where your perspective veered on those two. Yeah. Levels. Yeah. Well, you know, when I, when I started writing the book, I thought the first half was about gratitude and that really is the genesis of double blessing. And I thought the second half was on generosity. And then I kept writing and really what the conclusion I came to Kevin was people need to rediscover God's heart towards them. I mean, that's where this whole thing begins. Uh, you are the apple of God's eye. Uh, you, you are God's workmanship. Um, and, and until you really understand God's desire to bless you, then I think you relate to God for the wrong reasons. And so I think there's something happening at a very fundamental level as I wrote the book. Uh, in fact, uh, chapter five is uh, God in the hands of angry people. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit how we project uh, our inclinations, our imperfections onto God. And then what you end up with is a God created in your image. And, and now you're in trouble. So I, I think the book really is about rediscovering God's heart towards us. And then some of that art and science of gratitude and generosity. All right. Well, I'm going to go right there then. This is jumping the gun. I had this later on, but when you're talking about that rediscovering God's heart, that's the impetus for you to write this 
or, or what came to fruition in the writing of it, you somewhere in the book, you pulled out a quote by A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So Mark, this morning, sitting at Starbucks, because I just felt like coffee and sitting in the sun, uh, and I saw that, I sent it to my family. So we have a family group text. There's, I don't know, 10, 12 of us on there. Uh, my older kids, middle-aged kids, and, and whatever. Some of my kids are biological. Uh, some of them are adopted. And I, I just told them, I said, this is out of a book that I'm reviewing right now. And I said, I think this is pretty profound. What comes in your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And I said possibilities. And again, I'm thinking about some of my kids who I was not there as, as much as we uh, put our earthly father into our head. I wasn't uh, the initial father for some of these kids. And I said, what are some of the possibilities? Do you think of God as irrelevant, as a scam, a sham, mean, distant? disciplining or the creator, all powerful, loving, etc. And I told them, and this is just part of my own fathering of divulging where I'm at. I said, honestly, guys, my first thought today was that God is ready and waiting, but that's a newer perspective for me. I think over my lifetime, I probably to some point thought of God as disapproving, disappointed in me. I wasn't doing enough. My self-image is in my, you know, Superman in my doing. And so, uh, or at best, maybe he had more important things to do. Man, how powerful is that? So if you're drawing us back there, that that to me, that was almost worth the price of admission right there. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of and, one of those mind-blowing things. How do you think about, and, and I, I appreciate you bringing us back to that. Even though yeah. blessing was your muse, that right there, it's, it's interesting that that's what you came out with because that's really yeah. the heart of what I came to in, in reading your message here. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Now, I want to be careful because I know some people who are listening to this, they're driving right now, so I'm not going to ask them to close their eyes. But <laughs> if, if you were to close your eyes and, and, and I said, God, what, what comes to mind? What is the facial expression? What is the body posture? What is the tone of voice? And I really believe that if, if God has a frown on his face, if he's reclining with arms crossed, that is just not who God is. Um, now, if God has some smile lines around his eyes, mm. if God is reaching out with arms wide open, uh, if you can hear that tone of voice in the Heavenly Father's um, voice where he says, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and whom I'm well pleased. Now I think you're getting closer and closer to who God is. And uh, I think my hope and prayer for this book is that some people will reject the God who is not, the God that maybe they've bought into or that, you know, uh, that, that other people have tried to convince them that that's who God is. Listen, we need to reject who God isn't. Yeah. Uh, along with accepting who God is. And uh, this is huge. I think it's where identity issues come from. I think it's where um, our emotional issues come from. And so uh, this is a pretty big deal right here. Okay. Well, let's just hit on what you said right there, because I pulled another quote out that you had, you had gotten from Eric, Eric Metaxas. Uh, Everything I had rejected about God was actually not God. It was just dead religion. I, 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 I mean, I've grown up in the church here. I have never heard it put that way. And it's beautiful. 
to think of, because I have, of course, like you have run into so many people who have rejected God because of X. And it's usually, well, no, it's all, it's almost always, it's, it's, it could be a circumstance, but generally it came from some person. And in the book, you were relating a story about someone who had asked uh, a pastor to come and pray with them. And he said, okay, I will, but it's at least 25 bucks. And she rejected God because of this dude. That was yep. his own sin that, yep. that she needed to reject and not God. I mean, it's got to cover the majority of everybody who has rejected God because they experienced God through some faulty human. Yep. Yep. And, That's... and I take a little bit of a risk, uh, in the book, Kevin, cause I, oh, you took I a lot, John, actually. I, I think. took Jonathan <laughs> Edwards to task. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Cause he preached this sermon, um, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he likens us to a spider that God loathes that he, dangles over the fire of hell. That was harsh. And listen, I, the, the problem is, is that that still casts a shadow a couple hundred years later. Yeah. Um, I, I, listen, love Jonathan Edwards smarter than I'll ever be and benefited from much of his writing. But wow, he was dead wrong on that point. And, uh, and so I think we've got to uh, really, in a sense, deconstruct um, who God is not so that we can really accept who he is. And I think you start writing the gospels with the person of Jesus. And of course, uh, talk about being misunderstood, yeah. especially by the religious types, the Pharisees. I mean, there, there you have it in living color. Well, and I appreciate immensely your transparency in the book. And as somebody who is leading so many people. I, I, I like what you said there a minute ago. There's, there's none of us humans on earth to the best of our ability, the best of our intent that can at some point be dead wrong. Uh, I appreciate being able to talk to my kids about that today. I think it's one of the most probably redeeming things I'm able to do as a father is, is admit my own uh, well, you talk about that yeah. in the book talk about being, I shoot, I, you're gonna have to tell me how you wrote it. My paraphrasing is, is admitting your own faultiness to some degree. Yes. In this. Yeah. And that, that's one of our greatest opportunities yeah. as a parent where yes. we fail because now we can model to our kids how to say, sorry, yeah. you know, yeah. if they don't learn that from us, where, where are they going to, where are they going to learn that? Yeah. All right. So positioning ourselves for blessing. So let's go ahead and hit the next, you know, holy grail of uh, divisive Christian issues here. And it's the work-based achievements. It is. And you talk about that, the legalism of this. Okay, so I'm going to do this to get that. And, and you, you mentioned it a minute ago, so much of what you write in the book that I appreciate is it's the heart of the matter. It's the heart of why are you do are you doing X just to re receive Y and what is the heart of it? Are you doing it? I'm going to use, well, you use it in the book, the, the aspect of authenticity, which is one of the buzzwords I think we've got with millennials, but I think everybody at this point. And I, so we're in deep water here on this one. I mean, this is. Well, here, you know what? I'll throw this at you. So if I can do this as the common layman to the, to the, to the, to the big church pastor here, can I do this? I, yeah. You know, I tend to look at the Bible and I do talk to my kids about this as an, if then, uh, so much of it. And I think we miss it as a culture, especially in the church. We have the, I don't know how many times I've heard to somebody who's in dire straits. Oh, come on. You know, and we, we all know God will work all things together for good. And they put a period there. I'm going, are you serious? It's, he can work it for good. It's possible, 
But there's an if then. It says to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It puts an impetus on me to do something, which you do. You hit that head on and talk about uh, you have some danger in there, some controversy, because you're saying, yeah, you have to position yourself for the blessing. And that's a to me, that was a, a primary message of the book. But you did it in a way, and I don't know if I can do justice to it, God help me, in saying it does, we're not talking about salvation. This is what I find myself talking to my kids about, Mark. We're not talking about salvation. Do this to get, let's go past that. Let's say that's happened, okay? Now we're talking about the blessings of God. If you want to have some of heaven here on earth, there are, uh, well, you talk about it. It's, 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 uh, there's consequences. There's cause and effect. And yes. I, I'm going to ask you to, to give us an overview of that because it is, you're talking about that cause and effect. So is a blessing going to happen for no good reason? Well, of course it can generally though, it's going to follow the biblical mandate for that, which is us doing something, but it's not legalism. It's not work bait. We're not talking about salvation. Is that right. fair? You are listening to The Ziggler Show, and I obviously just queued up a big issue, works-based blessings and even salvation. I know a lot of you are listening just to hear what Mark has to say next, and I'll tease you with right away him confirming he does believe there are certainly some conditional aspects of following God and receiving blessings. So here you go. We're going to get into that right after I share some great products and services that I've curated for you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, all of the promises, all the blessings in scripture, uh, there, there is a conditional element. Conditional, to them. Yeah. Now it, it's nine times out of 10, Kevin, it's if you obey the Lord wholeheartedly, you know, it's yeah. it, obedience is really the, the uh, master key, so to speak. Um, I, I would say this, and I'm a both and thinker. So Job 11, six says true wisdom has two sides. So that means you have to pray like it depends on God, but you also have to work like it depends on you. Yeah. Um, it's kind of both of these things. So I don't want to eliminate uh, our effort out of the equation. Of course, not related to salvation. In fact, uh, this is one of my all-time favorites. Dorothy Sayers said that, uh, I dare say no crooked table legs or ill-fitted drawers ever came out of the carpenter shop in Nazareth. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea that Jesus did what he did with excellence. And so I, I think uh, hard work honors God. But by definition, you can't deserve grace. And so I, I think grace is um, God doing something for us that we don't deserve. I think mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And so these are kind of two sides of the same coin. But let, let me, can I, can I give people just one little handle? This is your um, show, man. You give them whatever you want. <laughs> Cause I think this is huge. You know, we quote Lamentations three, that his mercies are new every morning. And we love that idea. Well, that word for new in the Hebrew language does not mean again and again. Now that would be amazing. Listen, if it's just his mercy available every single day, that in itself is amazing. No, the word means different. In other words, the mercy that we receive today is different than yesterday and the day before. And so take your age, multiply it by 365, add the number of days since your last birthday. Well, that's the number of strains of mercy that you've been the recipient of. 
to me, that takes it to a whole nother level where we really begin to appreciate the fact that God's grace and God's mercy is as unique as our fingerprint. Okay. You, you mentioned hard work there and you actually have, it's at the beginning of chapter six and you're, and, and I'll quote, the blessing of God is not good luck. It's hard work. And you, in some place in, in the book talked about, are we willing to fight for the blessing to break a sweat? And, and what does that mean? Now, again, we're, but we're, you you hit, you come back. It's, it's the, I don't know. You said it a minute ago. It's the, um, uh, the bother. Uh, I don't think you said it that way, but it's something and it, which I come to so often. There's so much tension in, in the Bible of, of both sides that again, we're not talking about legalism. If you go, this isn't a recipe for, if you go to church, if you're nice to your wife, if you, you know, say bedtime prayers with your kids, whatever, then you should hold your hands out and expect plop. But again, I like that con- conditional positioning that there is a, the books, your message seems to call us to auditing our own heart uh, yeah. to such a big degree. What is my belief in God? What is my belief in how I am to position myself before God as a follower of God? And from that, then you do take us to the Bible. And this is generally what we see happen. And there are blessings, though I, I appreciate how you started off. We don't always know what a blessing looked like. And I'm definitely guilty of that, that I, I'm, I kind of expect, this is the blessing I'm looking for. This is what it looks like. This is the color, shape and size. Yes. Yeah. And there uh, I find my folly. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, in fact, uh, let, let's have some fun with that idea. Okay, please. Um, the parable of the talents, Yep. the reward for good work was not an early retirement or extra vacation time. The reward for good work was more, more work. work. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I have this little idea that I play out um, that the blessings of God will complicate your life. Now, sin will complicate your life in a way it shouldn't be complicated, but blessings will complicate your life in a way it should be complicated. So when my wife and I got married, it complicated our lives. Well, praise seven years of complications. We have three complications named Parker, Summer, and Josiah. I can't imagine my life without those complications. Um, You know, I I think the the more money you make, the more complicated your taxes is. I I bet most of us right now are praying, Lord, complicate my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So I I think um, we've got to be really careful not to uh, oversimplify this idea of blessing. I, I, it's not the path of least resistance. In fact, um, it's making a difficult choice that, it, you know, if you want to experience success, you're going to have to make sacrifices that no one else is willing to. And then everybody wants that success without counting that same cost. Um, but we all know it doesn't really work that way. Well, and I had that pulled out and in bold as well, Mark, the blessings of God will complicate your life because it's one of those duh kind of statements if you think about it, but I don't generally count the cost. It's back to the, be careful what you wish for and pray for. And as we're envying the person next door or the person on Instagram or and and not considering what does that life look like? And I have a lot of things in my life now that are, I sit back 
and think I am the richest person on earth, a billion dollars in my bank account would not make this moment better. And yet in the same, I have to hold in the same, uh, the same balance, the reality of I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be a good enough father to this many kids. I don't know how to be a good enough spouse amongst uh, all my other responsibilities. I'm not good enough to be CEO of this company or that company. And, uh, you know, we're getting into my own imposter syndrome issues too, but, but back to yours of man, this wealth requires so much. And yet who of us wants to just say, I know I'm good with the mediocre life. Yeah. But we're not counting the cost. And then we're back to gratitude, aren't we? That's what you brought us back to. We are. And you can't, you can't always change your circumstances, but you can change your focus. And, you know, Kevin, this is more than kind of a Jedi mind trick um, when I say this, and it's more than a platitude. I think a lot of the circumstances that we're asking God to change are the circumstances that God is using to change us. And so we've got to make sure that we have this mindset that um, this is for my good and for God's glory. And that means I'm probably going to have to walk through some tough circumstances everybody walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And so being blessed is not no problems. Um, And you can be stressed and blessed at the same time. In fact, sometimes it's the blessing that is actually doing the stressing. And I'll I'll use uh, myself as an example. You know, when I got that first book contract to write in a pit with a lion on a snowy day way back when, I mean... Someone pinched me. I, I could have about died and gone to heaven because I, I couldn't believe someone was going to pay me to write it. And then I had my first deadline, Kevin. Wow, that produced some stress in my life. But I have to be careful that I don't see the blessing as just a, a stressor. No, it, it yes, it is stressful. And I've got to manage that stress. But the blessings of God don't come on silver platters. You usually have to uh, plow and plant and work pretty hard that soil in order to eventually produce that harvest. Okay. So looking at this blessing, however, so as tens of thousands of people are going to be listening to this and we all are hearing it through our own filters. We are all, there's blessings that we want. And what, you know, for some person it is, I just, I need to make more money for somebody. It's, I need to, uh, keep my, my marriage out of total destruction. Um, you know, whatever that is, I just want joy. I want hope again. I want, I don't want depression, whatever that blessing looks like. And yet, you know, this, but I want to speak to that. There's people hearing this who are, blessed people. They are doing good things. They are striving to uh, live a godly life, to serve well. And yet they're still finding themselves right now, right now as they hear this, in a situation that is not good. It's just not. We can't paint a, a nice picture on it. And they're wondering, yep. what am I doing wrong? Is it some yep. cosmic handshake that I am missing? Uh, some formula I'm getting wrong? Is my doctor, what am I doing? Am I paying for past sins? You know all the junk that's going on, but yep. that's the real place that a lot of people here in this right now are sitting in. And uh, they're sitting in shame. They're sitting in anger. And they're hearing this and going, what, what am I not doing right? I, I feel yep. like I'm doing those. How do I position? Why am I not getting, do I not deserve it? 
you know that speak to it yep yeah well a lot of empathy for that and i try to never minimize those challenging circumstances i mean i've while as a pastor i've walked through some things that are pretty tragic um and it is really hard to find a silver lining so uh totally understand that i think one thing that's important kevin is you know, when I say the will of God, most people think logistics. They think who, what, when, where, how, or they think um, circumstantial things. Really, um, I think it's First Thessalonians 5. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, I mean, based on that, we already know the will of God rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Um, again, easier said than done. And uh, I've been in some tough spots where it's hard to find something to really hold on to in terms of hope. But part of what I do in the book is go back to this uh, idea in Judaism where an observant Jew would pronounce a hundred blessings a day. In fact, I love what the Talmud says. It's the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. It says, a man embezzles from God when he makes use of this world without uttering a blessing. In other words, anything less than gratitude is grand larceny. And so we've got to make sure, and, and here's how I like to say it, that whatever you don't turn into praise turns into pride. And, and I might even say whatever you don't turn into praise turns into pain. And so what we've got to do is cultivate uh, th this uh, attitude of gratitude. In fact, um, I think someone wise once said that our attitude had a lot to do with our altitude. <laughs> Somebody might have said that. Some weird name like Zig, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's spot on. You yeah. just, I mean, you almost feel funny talking about a, a gratitude journal or you almost feel silly talking about this idea because it's it's so simple and yet i'm convinced if we were better at this um we would be able to endure a lot more and uh i i think we would become um better and honestly not bitter uh, through some of those tough circumstances in life. So I think a lot of it idea of uh, the attitude of gratitude. Well, and so you're on mindset there of here we all are today in whatever circumstance everybody is as they're listening to this of change the need to the dire necessity to change our paradigm regardless to one of gratitude, but also not feeling shame, if I can say that, for desiring circumstantial changes, literal changes yes. in our lives. It's again, we're back to the bothness of yep. that. And is, yeah. is you, you mentioned hope again, and I, I'm going to ask you again to comment on where you're seeing the culture. I mean, that's part of your job is to study the culture, whether it's your, your congregation or the things that you know that they are dealing with. That again, where do you see, you wrote this book on blessing, where do you see us in the aspect of hope and gratitude? Are we on a decline? 
do you feel, and if so, where do you, what do you think the root is? Well, I mean, I think if, if you believe statistics about anxiety uh, or suicide, suicidal ideation, or um, kind of all of those issues in between depression, yeah, there is a lot of hopelessness. And so, um, in fact, it's, it's epidemic, right? Um, and so it might be helpful, Kevin, for us to kind of go back to, you know, the, the idea of double blessing. Yeah. Uh, there is an anchor, and it's Zechariah, Zechariah 9.12, where the Israelites are just coming out of their captivity. And so, in a sense, they're prisoners of war, but uh, Zechariah calls them prisoners of hope. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Which is it? Uh, well, I guess that depends on your perspective. And and then the very next verse says, um, I will repay you twice for your trouble. And there are lots of different translations um, that, uh, that I love. Um, in fact, I think, uh, oh, what is it? I think it's the message that says something to the effect that, uh, uh, that I'll give you a double bonus. But it's this yeah, idea yeah. that God is keeping track of the, the troubles, of the challenges that we face. And uh, he has a way of making up for that. Now, I do think you have to think in terms of eternity, not just time. Okay. But um, there is a God who catches our tears in his bottle. And, and that means he's keeping track of the things that we struggle with, that we wrestle with. And, uh, and, and then at the end of the day, I, I think blessing are, are these things you can't put a price tag on, like peace that passes understanding, like joy unspeakable. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, you, you could have a billion dollars in your bank account, but that's not going to compensate for relational poverty or emotional poverty um, yeah. or spiritual yeah. poverty. So uh, I think uh, it really does come back to uh, this relationship with God that despite our circumstances, we're able to, to uh, have this mindset, which really is the mind of Christ. And uh, I, I think that's where the double blessing begins. Well, even though this book has been out, gosh, I think a month now, uh, or not even that. It's a short time period, a month or yeah. so. Yeah. I'm, I know you've been living this message and, and sharing it uh, for a long time here. And so this is something that you have, you know, you have tried and tested. What are, can I ask for just some tangible, it doesn't have to be a, a specific well, it could be a specific story, but of saying that here is somebody who did not get this and then they got it. They got the, they got the paradigm shift of blessings and they started positioning themselves for this because the, and then we're back into that. Oh, it's the prosperity thing. So they made a lot of money and became famous and whatever. No, 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 no. Maybe so. Well, maybe so. I don't know. Uh, but that wasn't the point, you know, circumstantial changes or that paradigm shift because you're ultimately trying to, well, you're trying to free people Yeah. in this scenario. Yeah. Well, I, I love science, love history, weave a lot of that into this book. But one of my favorite stories in the book is about Handel, uh, as in 
Handel's Messiah. Right. Uh, 56 years old, kind of on the on the diminishing side of his career and then writes this blockbuster that, you know, might be the most uh, famous piece of music in Western history. Um, what I find fascinating is that he debuted it as a benefit concert. And what I mean by that is he used the uh, funds from that concert to free 142 people from debtor's prison. And so that's where I begin to get into the idea of double blessing. I think the first blessing is using the time and talent that God's given us to bless other people. For Handel, that was writing music. But listen, it could be pastoring a church or, uh, you, you know, it could be a podcast. It could be a, a thousand different things. Yep. Um, but, but then that time and talent tends to produce treasure, right? We call it a paycheck. Well, then the double blessing, I think, is using that paycheck to be a blessing to other people. And so uh, pretty fun. Handel actually you, uh, left uh, that score of music in his will to Foundling Hospital. And so I, I can't help but wonder if that, that music isn't just particularly blessed because yeah. God knew that the blessing wasn't going to stop with Handel, that he was going to flip the blessing, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit because that's kind of the heart of the book. Um, that, that was, that's where I was going with next. I honestly, yeah. as I read that, I thought, I'm, I'm really surprised you guys didn't name the book that, you know, we thought about it. We did thought you really? About it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so hit on that, hit on that. that Cause you do, yeah. you give a bunch of examples of, of flipping the, you give some in your own life, your own story, and then other people's as well. But that perspective of doing it, you know, you know what, before, before that though, yeah. I mean, that is the, in essence, the second part of the book it's get, I mean, that's the, there's the tagline folks. It's how to get it, the blessing, how to give it. And when I first thought about that, I mean, I'm a marketing guy and I'm looking and, you know, a lot of times we have these messages that resonate with us, but then you wonder, gosh, is that really compelling to people? Are people motivated by the thought of giving? Cause so many of them feel a lack right now. And yet I thought about, man, you, you talk, you find anybody who comes across a sum of money. And, uh, the first thing that you hear about is them giving it. It, it. it is part of human nature. I don't know if we think about that as a driving motive day to day, but man, the moment you have excess or what you whatever you feel is excess or have the ability or feel called, whatever, even if it's sacrificial, it is to give it away. I thought it's, it's ingrained in yes. us. Yep. Okay. And isn't it crazy that what Jesus said is true? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, that is where joy is found. In fact, I think the more you give away, the more you enjoy what you keep. And I, I don't have a scientific study for that, Kevin, but that's been my experience in my life. You know, as someone who uh, one of our goals is to reverse tithe. And yeah. what I mean by that is at some point live off 10% and give 90%. And, uh, and so we have found so much joy. I'll tell you one fun story. A um, couple of a couple of years ago, someone showed up in my office, and it wasn't my birthday. It wasn't Christmas, so I was a little bit surprised that they gave me a gift. And and then they said something. They said, "Wise men come bearing gifts." I thought that sounds really familiar. That sounds like the Christmas story, mm -hmm. and uh, I couldn't argue with it. And it became kind of this habit that I, I love come bearing gifts, this idea that, um, 
you, you know, you, you just become a creative gift giver and you bless other people. And sometimes it's as simple as just paying for the person behind you uh, in that drive through lane uh, or uh, leaving one of those tips that will leave an impression with whoever served you. But generally speaking, what I try to do is just inventory my life. How have other people blessed me? And then how can I flip that blessing for other people? Uh, and it's as old as the Abrahamic covenant. You are blessed to bless. God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living, blesses us to raise our standard of giving. Okay. I just realized as you're sitting there talking about paying for, you know, the person behind you at coffee, I, I mentioned Starbucks a minute ago and here you are with one of the best coffee houses in America. Did I just say a bad word? I, I did. I did. I just promoted the enemy. Didn't I? No, oh my it's okay. goodness gracious. Listen, if I'm, if I'm somewhere where there isn't an Ebenezer's coffee house and I need caffeine, it's yeah. okay. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll at least blame that I'm in a small town. There's not a lot of options. Okay. There you and, go. And, and it does have the best view of Pikes Peak. So, uh, well, so let's talk about this on the, on the flipping the blessing on the giving, I, uh, gosh, it's been what, 11 years ago. It's longer than that. It was about 12, 13 years ago. I bought some land to build a house at the time. I was not in a great place financially. It didn't make much sense. And I actually got, it was almost like an intervention from some friends. They said, look, dude, to do this thing, you either need to have time or money or know-how or some, uh, amount of that. You got none of those things. Uh, in regards to building a house and you have none of those things. That's not a good place to come from. That's another story. And, and there were some miracles that happened there. But in looking at that, when we look at giving, of course, we know that we tend to think of financially first off and you do a good uh, job in the book of talking about those things. Well, you know, back to the talents, you know, whatever that talent is, is it time? Is it money? Is it know-how? Is it whatever that we can give? And yet I, I still, even in my own life, I don't tend to think about the, uh, the, the basket of things that I can give outside of writing that check to the church, which I actually, it, yeah. it, there came a point in my life where we were a thousand percent rigid on that, you know, 10, I could tell you what my taxes were that year by how much we gave the church. Yes. And I realized at the point I, I have nothing invested in this. I have zero invested. I write it like I write the electric bill. There's no, yeah. I, I'm not, I, there's no thought behind it. There's no heart behind it. And it really brought us back to going, what, what are we, we've got to be involved in this and what the church is doing with it. Or if we're going to put, you know, put some elsewhere uh, again, that was just, that was just money alone, much less, you know, time and effort, which I would have to say, you know, I'm generally more prone to write a check. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I bet if we were to poll uh, your listeners uh, and I said, time, talent, treasure, wh which one is hardest to be generous with? It's an easy answer for me. It's time. Absolutely. I mean, we don't have enough of it. I feel like social media kind of invades every nook and cranny of our margins. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's really hard to go out of my way. And, and yet I look at the, uh, the good Samaritan and talk about generosity. Now had the financial margin to put this person up for a couple of days at a hotel, but really it was about going out of his way. I mean, he was going somewhere. He had some place to get to. He had some kind of deadline, 
but he went out of his way and uh, was generous with his time and then was generous with his treasure. And so mm-hmm. I think it's important that uh, we don't even use financial giving as a, as a cop-out. Um, and it's crazy to say that, especially for a pastor to say that. But, uh, you know, I think in the last 20 years, we've taken 272 mission trips as a, as a church. Wow. And so, you know, these are thousands and thousands of people who have taken time off and use their own money to often go to a third world country and serve and love. And by the way, I think all of them would say that the primary beneficiary is themselves. Yeah. But that to me is the epitome of generosity because now it's not just as simple as writing a check. Now you're going on a trip. Now you're volunteering. Uh, you know, in our city, it, it might be, um, well, we turn our coffee house into the living room for our friends experiencing homelessness, or we resettle 65% of the refugees in the DC area. And that's inconvenient. We're going to furnish their apartments. We're helping their kids get into school. Um, but, but to me, most people are willing to follow Christ to the point of inconvenience, but no further. And that really is the line of demarcation. And that probably is what the Good Samaritan represents, the willingness to inconvenience ourselves for someone else. On that, Mark, as we began and you talking about your desire through this message to help people rediscover the heart of God, looking at ourselves and our pursuit of crafting our own hearts in a like-minded aspect, when we talk about giving here, I'm going to go to an analogy. Shanti Feldhahn. She wrote the book, uh, the the 30-day kindness challenge. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the books I have related to as much or more than any other book on this show, because she talks about being kind, but the, the paradigm shift she comes to is that the reality is being kind to someone else helps you more than it does them. It helps your mindset. It helps your joy. It helps your gratitude. It helps your perspective more than them. So if you do it and there is no tangible reciprocation from that person, whatever, you're still getting the main benefit. So back to giving, when you talk about striving to give more, that this is not just an altruistic earning points in heaven kind of thing to do. This is best for all of us if we took God out of the picture. Is that fair to say? Yes. In fact, I mean, this sounds crazy to say, and I almost feel like I should think about it twice before I do say it. No, just say it. Spit it out. You know what? If we were totally selfish, we would be absolutely generous. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Because, I mean, you just, you, you, there's just a certain level of joy and then add to the mix. And, and this is where we've got to be careful because God is not a slot machine. You cannot play God. Um, and uh, if you give for the wrong reasons, it doesn't even count. Uh, so you got to really check your heart and you've got to give for the right reasons, but you can't outgive God. Um, and, and now let, let's not turn it into a quadratic equation where right. we give X and God gives us Y. Um 
but uh, man, when we're unselfish, when we're giving, uh, in fact, here's how I like to say it. Um, in God's economy, five plus two equals 5,000 remainder 12. And that, that may ring a bell for some people who know this miracle of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fish. It was just five loaves, two fish, but he feeds 5,000 and then he has 12 baskets left over. Like this math does not add up unless you add God to the equation. And, and that really is where it becomes fun. I mean, and, and we've experienced this so many times personally and then so many times uh, as a church. Okay. So another aspect of this giving and you talking about uh, you know, us having our hearts in the right place. So uh, I'm going to give the analogy of meditation, which is such uh, a common topic these days. I think uh, people have done a good job of bringing it out of the, the hoodoo guru kind of aspect and just saying, this is brain training. This is uh, trying to you know, empty your mind to something or give, give your mind break and, and center and just be present. Okay. But, and I've had some great people talk about this. Uh, Johnny Powlard, he taught, he's a meditation guy. And he, we had him on the show and he talked about that, that we have the thought of meditating. We need to do, we have to have zero thoughts. Right. And he says, it's impossible to have zero. Let's just get rid of that. It's, it's, of course, we want to try to free up the mind a little bit to have no thoughts. So it's almost inhuman. That's what we we can't even do that in our sleep. Okay, so coming back to giving and the thought of, can I have my heart in the right place? And my thought is, I need to do it with no self-interest, no self-interest. Is that really, I don't know that that's possible. Can I, I can't really remove myself. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but I remove myself from, I'm giving. And of course, I want to receive a blessing. Now, does that mean it's going to come back? tenfold and it's cash dollars or is it in peace joy whatever that's what we're talking about but again can we, can you hit on that because i i do feel like there's a cutoff for a lot of people going Ser- i don't know how to give without yeah. any shred of self-interest yeah well i don't know that i've ever done anything without mixed motives okay well you and me both so on a good day I really want to glorify god on a good day i really want to bless someone else um but listen, I say this to our church all the time. As soon as I'm fully sanctified, I'll let you know, but I would not hold your breath. Uh, So I think all of us, um, in fact, we kind of alluded to this idea of the tithe of giving God the first 10%. Honestly, Kevin, I don't know any other way to keep greed in check in my own life. Um, Because if I don't do that, I call it the mall effect. I was in Minneapolis, walked through the mall of America not long ago. I had no idea all the things that I didn't have, but I needed (laughs) until I walked through the mall. And, you know, in psychology, that would be called an upward counterfactual Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's focusing on what you don't have and uh, it can produce uh, some feelings. We don't have to go to the mall anymore. We just look on Instagram. We're good. Yeah. Just, well, go on amazon.com, right? Uh, Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I think joy isn't getting what you want. It's appreciating what you have. And and that's why it's so important to kind of nuance that. Um, And I I guess that takes us back to the idea of of gratitude. But gratitude really then is uh, the basis for generosity. I think it's recognizing it's all from God. It's all for God. And, And so one other thing I would say is that Sometimes faith is expressed in dollars. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, 
before our church was self-supporting and, you know, we've, we've given millions and millions of dollars to missions. In fact, we want to grow more so we can give more. But before we were self-supporting, I, I remember when our income was $2,000 a month as a church. Yeah. Cost 1600 to rent the school where we were meeting. That left $400 for our salary and all other expenses. And I felt this prompting that we needed to start giving to missions. And I'll never forget writing a $50 check. Listen, I that was $50 of faith. Um, I look back now, it doesn't seem like a ton of money. But I believe God honored it. And, and you and I both know that there are people who would say, well, when I make more, I'll give more. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because um, honestly, it's a lot easier to be generous with a little than it is with a lot. And I think that's where we fool ourselves. I think it's about being faithful with a few things. And then God has a way of honoring that and allowing us to be an even bigger blessing. But that has to be the motivation, uh, again, to be that bigger blessing to other people. Well, just as much uh, talking about, you know, I talked about kindness and talked about giving and this is, it's brain training, even outside of, of faith it is. But in the giving, I feel like in a, in a, in a sense, you're saying it is a tangible practicing your faith. You want your faith stronger give and don't just, well, you just said it, not from your necessarily your abundance that you're going to practice. You're going to get more strength out of it by giving out of your uh, giving sacrificially, giving a little bit to where it hurts, which is, and I know from you coming from a pastor on stage, man, that's the most dangerous one to say, oh, of course he wants money. You know, that's, that's the cop out that people give. And so I appreciate you going back and saying, you, know, you th- if, if you do, you throw out throw out God in this scenario, it is still the best way to live. And I think we see that even amongst people who I have them on the show. It's not all Christians that I have on the show. And everybody, every listener knows that we have a lot of, lot of agnostics. Uh, I don't know that we've ever had an atheist. You know what? I do remember one uh, who said he was atheist really shocked me. Actually, I didn't know, but, uh, but I, I, even that guy who I won't name, he practiced these things. He, he still got the message. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, you know, God doesn't need our money. Newsflash uh, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, owns the hills. Um, but, but he does want our heart and where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So you can't really divorce these two ideas. And, uh, and so I think my goal uh, for people is that they would grow in the grace of giving. Uh, you know, it's this idea that generosity is a muscle. You have to exercise it. You have to stretch it. And when you do that, you begin to experience that joy of giving. And I think that then creates this momentum called generosity. Mark, the book, again, I I know that you gave it the focus of blessing, but it was a I love the, the, again, the, your transparency, transparency, your humility, the stories you tell on it. It's a great call. I think for all of us, uh, to, as you said, rediscover God heart, God's heart. And you just said it, God wants our heart. And when you said that, my first thought was, will we give it to him? So folks, if you're listening, this is, uh, I, of course, that's why we're, we're here is to bring you this message. I highly encourage you to get the book. It is such a, uh, you make it so tangible with the true stories and man, I'm grateful you brought it for, this is what your 18th book. 
ish, something like that. Uh, 17, 17. But I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you for a profit and believe there'll be an 18. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it, man. Thank you uh, again. I've been grateful since back with in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Uh, and this book has been a gift to, I was grateful to even get the request to have you on and thank you for sharing your heart and sharing this message with us, Mark. Hey, Kevin, absolute joy. And, uh, instead of blessings, how about double blessings? All right. I got, I sold. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Well, a big topic show right there, folks. Are you willing to have your life complicated by blessings? Is there some repositioning and reorienting to do in your life as you desire God's blessings? Again, Mark's new book is Double Blessing, How to Get It, How to Give It. And you can connect with him at markbatterson.com and, of course, find his books everywhere. Well, coming up in episode 736... How do people rate themselves on playing it safe or going for it? As a listener of The Ziggler Show, I know you are a more aspiring person than the norm, as, are, as all of our listeners are. So how do you rate yourself in your endeavors? Well, in show 727, I talked with Neil Pasricha, whose latest book, You Are Awesome, just debuted as the number one international bestseller. He asked why in our culture today, where we have more conveniences and amenities than ever, are we playing it safer than ever? And it was from this that I asked the Ziegler audience, in your job or business, on a scale from 1 to 10, how would you rate yourself for playing it safe? Uh, or totally going for the gusto on a scale from 1 to 10, and why? Uh, let me tell you this, we only had two people rate themselves as a 10, and we had plenty of 3s and 4s. I had Neil join me to co-host this Q&A, and as usual, the comments and my guest, Neil, his responses were just profound. You come away with a better understanding of your own propensities and why you may be going after things in one area of your life and not so much in others. And he explains the very real role of cognitive entrenchment. That really got to through to me. Uh, I believe you're going to resonate a lot with what you hear uh, here. He also expounded on the issue of following our passions and made this brilliant comment that flies in the face of having work that's, you know, all fun and play. He said, the point is finding work that you love so much, you'll endure the pain and punishment. Love that statement. Uh, this was just as solid a show as I've ever done regarding relevant issues that we are all dealing with today. Well, till then, folks, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. Mm -hmm.